Welcome, all you wiretappers. Good to be back here in Studio Gangland Wire. I've got my good friend, Camillus Cam Robinson. Welcome, Cam. Hey, Gary. How you doing? It's been a while since you've been on. You've uh, you've moved and, and uh, had some changes in your life, but we're really glad to have you back and get you back in the mix here. Do some more Chicago stories with you because you're my man in Chicago. You know that. That's, I am. I, I appreciate it, Gary. You are my rabbi, and I, I'm, I'm always here. Uh, I'm always here if uh, if I can uh, be of assistance. I'm glad right. to be back. Well, good. You know, today, guys, we uh, Cam came up with this idea, and I thought it was a, kind of a fun idea for a show. Uh, let's compare and contrast John Gotti and Al Capone. You know, the two, arguably, the two most wouldn't you say, Cam, the two most well-known mafia figures in the United States in all of history, I, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. For those of us in the, you know, who who, who really study some go after it, I mean, we sort of kind of look askance at Gotti. But if you're outside and, and you're looking in, if you're just a casual mob observer, then, you know, Gotti and Al Capone, I mean, those are the Internet searches. I mean, if you're if yeah. you're not somebody who typically just looks at mafia or mobologist or whatever word you want to call it. That mobologist. It. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It'll be official. Um, definitely, definitely, Gary Capone and, and, and Gotti are the two that people are most interested. I mean, they got the most movies about them. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, um, popular media has paid the most attention that's to right. them. You know, I always, I've always, and Lucky Luciano kind of ranks up there. And I think, They've kind of got cool names and they're easy to say names and they're easy to remember yeah. names. I think, you know, kind of like Roy Rogers or Mickey Mantle, you know, got those real easy to say names. And, and so people remember that, but they were flamboyant and they had easy to say names and memorable names. So uh, they were, I think the newspaper people probably pumped them up a little bit too. Yeah. Yeah. In their day, they were the darlings of the press, which is why they're now so well known. You know, yeah. the newspaper followed Capone and the newspaper followed Gotti just because they would allow themselves to be followed. And, and that's that's where you go. Yeah. So let's talk about, you know, a little compare and contrast like uh, Al Capone, in, in my opinion, was much more successfully business wise than John Gotti ever was because he built. Single handedly, the the whole Chicago outfit, which was, you know, they had what at one time five major crews, as maybe not as big as the five families, but Gotti was just, you know, ended up being the head of one of five families. But and and so, what what do you think about the comparison contrast with there? I think I think you know, like like we've talked about. I mean, Capone came along when when it was a during a wartime in Chicago. Go and really, it was his iron fist. And don't get me wrong; there were a lot of brains behind the uh, behind the brawn. Uh, he had real, real power players working with him. But uh, it was Capone who Torrio chose, and it was Capone who brought Chicago together and created that billion-dollar industry of uh, of bootlegging and then spreading to the unions and 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 basically controlling every aspect of. Chicago, the city, and then expanding west throughout the country. Uh, that was under Capone's leadership, and people want to want to denigrate him now or say, "Well, Capone this or more brains for breakfast," you know, whoever. Uh, there were some great leaders in the outfit. I'm not I'm not saying that, but Capone really led a hell of an outfit, and really much larger than anything Gotti could have hoped for. Gotti was handed basically the keys to the kingdom, and he proceeded to to tear it all down. Whereas yeah, he, Capone built everything up. 
he did a component seemed like he he knew the people to choose to to run things while he sat on top i i don't know whether it's personal charisma Gotti had a lot of personal charisma uh, capone must have had a lot of personal charisma too but he chose what was it was like uh well tony accardo to handle the the whacking people around yeah. handle enforcement activities and and, yeah, and Arcardo yeah. you know he goes on to be the boss and he picks the right people to move on up later on Paul Rica was kind of an interim boss really smart guy really quiet and and he had a lot of relationships with other people around the country and then he he, he got a, a greasy thumb Jake Guzik to handle a lot of that kind of dealing with government agencies and he knew that you needed that guy to really you know, deal with the governmental agencies and, and with the courts and get people in those positions. Gotti, you know, personally, he never did anything like that. He, he, you know, he just, you know, depending on other people that have the contacts in the governmental, yeah. you know, the court systems and the police and all that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Gambino family definitely had the contacts under, under, under Gambino and then under, under, uh, under big Castellano. Paul Castellano, yeah. but um, Gotti didn't have that wherewithal. He was more of a street guy, and I'm not saying Capone wasn't, but Capone was smart enough to put the guys like Murray Humphreys and Jake Guzik and 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 Paul Rica and Frank Lady guys in position who knew how to get things done in that world. And that was why the outfit was so successful politically. You know, Gambino's under under uh, Carlo. They really expanded, had judges, they had politicians, they had all of that. Gotti didn't really see the value in that kind of thing as much. He just wanted people to kick up because he was gambling so much. And he just wanted green money. And power to him was your ability to, to point and have somebody killed or to, to point and have somebody hurt. And as Capone understood, there's much more to power than just the ability to take one guy out. Yeah. You know, that um, just thinking that uh, my friend Bill Alzi, retired FBI agents, we were talking about the Jewish connections here in Kansas City. There was in the gambling mm -hmm. world there. They had several Jewish guys that that really ran the gambling when it first got going and on an inter, or inter, on a national basis. The race wire was big all across the United States. And Bill said, yeah, he said the Italians supplied the muscle and the Jews supplied the uh, the brains. So <laughs> Al Capone knew that he knew that. And, and he was, you know, they call it the outfit. We don't call it the mafia. We call it the outfit because he, Murray Humphreys was, I think he was a Welshman. He was from England. Yeah. Uh, Guzak was a Jewish guy Then Lenny Patrick and uh, who else? Uh, uh, there was a Greek too, a Gus Alex and, yeah, and Gus Alex. Patrick was Jewish. And, and, and so there was a whole big Jewish connection too, that were important people. Uh, in the outfit, whereas with Gotti, you were either Sicilian or Southern Italian of some kind, and you were La Cosa Nostra, and that was it. Yes. You know, it was such a closed little society. He'd never thought outside that box of that closed La Cosa Nostra society. I, I, absolutely, it was. It was. He was so seeped in in mob mythology and and. Uh, you know, what, what was Colson What was, like you said, what was the real, what was the mob thing to do? What was, and Capone's thinking wasn't as tied in. I mean, he was, and the both of them, as, as we'll talk about, were 
uh, Neapolitans. So that mattered much more in Capone's day, where he just wasn't going to be accepted by the Sicilians, and he didn't care. So he, he associated with more people. He's more successful than most any mob boss, as far as from a dollars and cents standpoint, than any that I can think of. And um, that rejection, and Gotti felt it too. Uh, and I think that whereas Capone went off and did his own thing because he wasn't going to be accepted by Cosa Nostra in the United States, so he pushed on and, and built the outfit. Whereas Gotti was always going to be sort of looked down upon by the Sicilians so that he felt a real insecurity, and that insecurity drove him a lot within the mob. And he had to be the most mafia, the most Cosa Nostra. So I think that their responses to that sort of rejection by different by, by factions within their own group are, are very different. You know, Capone was never going to be accepted. He did his own thing and created a much more successful group. Gotti was sort of looked down on in a way for his Neapolitan blood. So he proved that he was the more Cosa Nostra than even the Sicilians. You know, that so it, that insecurity really sort of drove him. You know, and, and dealing when they when they caught a case, so to speak, they both had mm-hmm. both had similar ways of trying to deal with it. They wanted to bribe a juror, uh, so uh, Gotti actually did get one bribed on that one that first case where that uh, oh that woman uh, Jacqueline Giacomo or Jacqueline Jacqueline prosecuting and they did bribe that guy at $67,000. It was interesting. I did a story on that and they, they said, we have to have a totally um, anonymous jury. So what they did is they didn't give the names of the jurors to, and their addresses to either side. So the prosecution didn't have it either. And if they had just had those names, they would at least ran them through their computers, through their intelligence mm-hmm. uh, indices, and they would have found that guy that they brought. They would have found his connections. His they connection. were not that far apart. But since they didn't get the uh, the uh, addresses, why they they didn't they, were, they weren't able to find them. Now Capone, great story on when he went to his big trial. They switched the jury out because they knew Capone's people had been out running their traps and getting people lined up that might be on that jury. And at the very last minute, they brought a jury down from another floor and just swapped them. And I, I guess Capone's <laughs> lawyers are standing there with their jaws dropped down on the floor. <laughs> you know, and you're in that minute, there's only so much you can say. It's like, well, but that was the jury we bought. I mean, I want my money back. <laughs> you can't, Too late. You can't do that. <laughs> you can't ask for your money back at that point. <laughs> Yeah, because, you know, Gotti, it's my understanding, he had guys, when those trials were getting ready to start, they had guys out there watching, trying to figure out who the people were that were going to be in the jury pool and getting their license numbers and starting to figure out who they were as they were picking mm-hmm. a jury. And Capone, he didn't have to do all that, probably because he had connections in the courthouse, would already gotten a list of all the, the jurors that yeah. he, that were going to be on the jury. So they probably made some money, didn't have to do a thing. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, you know, Gotti Capone was a little more national. Gotti, as we said, he's pretty provincial. He didn't. He lived in that same yeah. little bungalow or smaller house in uh, Queens, I believe, Ozone yeah. Park. His whole 
mob life. He didn't try to do like Paul Castellano and move up into the big house in the suburbs or anything. And and he stayed right there. He he did get put on a big fireworks show for the neighbors every year, is my understanding. He liked that being a big fish in a small pond, it seemed to me like. Whereas Capone, you know, all over Chicago, they knew him personally almost. Yeah, yeah. And he t- reached soup out everywhere in Chicago, and- soup kitchens and uh, going to baseball games and be sitting on the mm-hmm. front row and getting his kid introduced to uh, Babe Ruth, getting his picture taken with Babe Ruth and, and you know, more of that. And Babe Ruth wasn't a Chicago player. So that was more on a, a national basis, had the big mansion down in Florida that they would go down to had lucky Luciano and who Frank Costello were down there. And so he was, he was more of a guy that, that understood the bigger picture than Gotti. It doesn't seem like Gotti ever understood and wanted to be part of the bigger picture. No, I think that, you know, as, as we sort of talked about, I mean, Gotti was a street guy. And when it came to knowing the streets, he was very street smart. He, he yeah. really was. I don't know if anybody can compete in the, in the, on that level with Gotti as far as, as far as what the, uh, you know, the rules of the street. And as, as a result, his crew was very successful and, and Gotti was, Gotti was, was, I mean, he, he, that's how he became the boss is because, I mean, his crew was so successful and was, was so street savvy, but he just wasn't, he didn't think on that level. He wasn't, like you said, I mean, he was, he was in his enclave and he wanted his power and he wanted to stay there. And he just didn't perceive the mob as a, as a national entity. And he just, he, he I don't some, think somebody like God, he would know what that meant or what, what to do with it. You know, guys like uh, Neil Delacroix, there was a reason he didn't get the power and that Big Paul did. I mean, Neil Delacroix was sort of a national figure, but I mean, he was a street guy and he, and he knew it. For all the criticism against Big Paul, he did know how to run an empire. He yeah. just was a little bit soft. And Gotti had no idea. He just had no, he was, as the, you know, the constant refrain they say is, are you a, are you a gangster or are you a racketeer? <laughs> and for whatever truth there is to that, Gotti was just a gangster. Yeah. There's no racketeering at all about it. Interesting. I forgot about that saying that uh, yeah, Paul Castellano right. was a racketeer. He knew the value of the unions. Now, Sammy the Bull Gravano understood that. Hell, he was really involved in the unions and with business yeah. kind of things where you can make money off of business. But Gotti, he just cared about gambling and are you kicking up and crews out, you know, doing uh hijacking trucks and and getting swag and and the usual kind of stuff extorting money from uh, from the gambling networks or whatever they whoever they could extort money from bookies and bars running the family like it was a crew yeah yeah exactly that's one thing about sammy the bull he he did understand that if he'd been had his chance to go up instead of uh, going into witness protection Look how successful he is now on uh, on the YouTube. <laughs> and they yeah, should be yeah. said nothing more than that. You know, that guy knew how to that's, that's, he understood how to be successful, not about how to be a gangster, how to have be the toughest guy on the block. You know, yeah. he understood how to be successful. And yeah, Al Capone. Yeah, Sammy the Bull or Frank DeChico, yeah. Yeah. Capone and what where Capone where his deficits were, as we've talked about, Gary, he put the people in position who did know how those worlds and who did know how to racketeer and who did know how to get in. That was Capone's strength is like you said, was delegation. Yeah. The news cameras, uh, 
it's a lot different when Gotti was out there. He did play for the news cameras. They were always waiting for him when he was going in and out of the courtrooms. If you notice a lot of the pictures of Capone, he was like, you know, as the baseball game or he was, you know, mm-hmm. with other people. He, he wasn't, you know, at his uh, mansion down in Florida. He, he didn't try to play to that whole I'm a gangster thing. He was just like I'm. I'm more like I'm a big time philanthropist. I'm an important a, member a of the community, manager. businessman here in Chicago. Yeah. And he used to tell people he was a businessman. He just supplied a product that people wanted. Yeah, I, I think you're right. He he would have seen. He did see himself more as a businessman. Of a prohibition was relatively new, so it, it's hard for us to grasp. You know, it would be like if suddenly there were a, a legal move to ban alcohol nowadays, and if yeah. alcohol became banned. It's not like everybody's going to stop drinking. It would be just a, it was to them as stupid a law as it is to us. Yeah. It, it just ha- happened that there was a, a moral group that, that got in there and, and thought that that was the way the wind was blowing. And so while it was, but they, the people during prohibition thought that law was as stupid and useless as basically we would think now and the people who didn't follow it. Capone really was just supplying something that had been withdrawn from market in all of the normal legal channels yeah. in any other world he, he would be a businessman it's just his, it was illegal and you had to kill people and he was flexible too he was flexible enough when prohibition ended you know the the outfit yeah. went right into that national the wire for the sports uh, for the uh, horse racing results because everybody right. liked to bet on horses but yet there wasn't any place to bet on horses in kansas city there wasn't any place to bet on horses downstate uh Illinois or St. Louis or St. Louis had a sportsman's park, but, but uh, throughout the United States, there's a lot of places you couldn't place a bet on a horse unless you went to the track. And even in those big cities, you had to go to the track and everybody can't go out to the track every day. So they, you know, they were part of that creating a national race wire and then to make money off of that. That's where the Jewish gangsters came in is was, and in Kansas city, particularly, and I'm sure in Chicago, when they established that national race wire and the mob was, you know, taking a piece of that action all the time. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, Chicago was in on it, on taking it over from Max Annenberg in the, in the beginning, you know, the CP Annenberg you hear about nowadays, that was uh, Max Annenberg, a, a Jewish guy who, who had the, the, the news service and um, Chicago was instrumental in sort of seizing control of that and setting up the sports book to begin with. So yeah, they, they really, and that was initially under Capone. And then later on, they expanded it after his imprisonment. But you do see Gotti stopping and talking to the, the, the media and sort of playing and come back to what we were saying and, and, and smiling and straightening his tie. That clip that you posted the other day of Capone going to prison. I mean, he sort of jumps out of the car and bounds up the steps. the gangsters is about to get his and a lot of chicago folks are on hand at federal court for a last look at scarface al capone before uncle sam puts him away here he comes the big boy himself what's the hurry al where you're going you'll have loads of time i guess they weren't aware of the power of the press then the press loved him because he was this figure that sold newspapers but he wasn't he wasn't in it and talking to it as much as, as maybe a, a god he was playing with it and loved to be seen. Yeah. Paul just happened to be a famous name. 
Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I never thought about that. That that scene where if that had been Gotti, he would have been preening and and trying to been taking mm-hmm. questions and making wisecracks and with the uh, media people as he went into the courtroom, which we've seen many times. Al Capone jumps out of that cab and ducks his head down and runs in. That was a good clip you found. Yeah, I don't even remember where I found that. I don't know some kind of something in space. I can't remember where it was. Actually, it was a good one. And let's see what else is there. What other comparisons are there between the two? You know, as far I, I as think, you know, no, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, working with Jewish guys, that was so common. I don't know that Gotti yeah. ever worked with any Jewish people at all, other than to extort money from them. <laughs> if they had some kind yeah. of action going or business going, extort money yeah. from them. I don't see that he had any partnership. I think maybe uh, there there was one uh, heroin dealer that I don't remember if he was Jewish or not. He might just been straight Peckerwood that he was involved with and partied with that uh, he got that kind of secret heroin or cocaine money from him that he was getting. I think uh, yeah. uh, Al Capone probably, I never heard of him dealing in narcotics at all, even on the, on the sly. Uh, although there were a lot of heroin dealing throughout the United States among the mafia during the thirties, we had, it, they were in Kansas city or one of our bar corks of the brother of our boss. He was took a bus, took a pinch for uh possession of heroin during the 30s never heard of uh capone his outfit being involved with the heroin trade surely they were you know better i know that there were some some guys a little bit later a couple decades after when heroin was really big some of the 42s had some some, you know they didn't have the major national and set up the major national smuggling rings yet that came along a little bit later in the in the in the in the 40s and 50s back then, it would have been just smaller amounts. They'd have to be selling on the streets. Like Luciano had some contacts with guys who would bring it over in uh, in the 30s, and he would and he set up and, and there were Italian guys who set up networks. But for the most part, that major Arab connections that did pass through Chicago and through everywhere was a little bit after Capone. So and Gotti, he in a way they were absolutely against it, and he took money from it, but it was on kind of on the on the down low, so we wouldn't get caught. One reason yeah. he had to kill Paul Castellano is because his man uh, was a quack quack Ruggiero and Gene got his brother yeah. were all involved in it and they both took pinches for it. They took they took major oh yeah prison sentences for it. And Castellano wanted copies of the wiretaps that Ruggiero had gotten in discovery <laughs> and it was gonna show that he'd been dealing uh cocaine. So that was one yeah. reason that, uh, Capone or Castellano had to go down. It was, it was either his longtime Goomba buddy, Angelo Rosario, or uh, or Paul Castellano. That's an interesting – bringing up that story. You know, Capone was fiercely loyal to people. You know, yeah. when uh, there was a, a Jewish guy, Joe Howard, who, who smacked around Jake Guzik, Capone went down there on his own and beat the guy to death shot him. He, he beat him near to death and then, and then shot him in the street. Damn. Uh, Gotti, if you crossed Gotti or you ain't a man, I mean, he would write you off, period. He was, you know, that that sort of narcissistic personality where if you if you step on my toes, I'm done with him. Ruggiero, Ruggiero, he grew up with him. Best friend since childhood. Loved the guy. Knew all his brothers, Gene and, and, and Peter, and they were really all grew up close friends. Knew his kids and all. And as soon as Ruggiero talking and said some unpleasant things about him on that tape about, you know, Gotti, this or that or the other. That was it. He wouldn't even visit him on his deathbed. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy he grew up with. I mean, Gotti had a habit of writing people off who got in his way or who insulted him. He couldn't take any kind of an insult at all. He was he was Capone, on the other hand, was he was so loyal to those around him. It was just their personality types differ so much. You know, uh, just Gotti was was so small minded and and like you said, it's very provincial and he didn't have that loyalty to people. And you hear on those tapes talking about throwing Gravano under the bus and letting Gravano take the heat. And you know, Gravano had been right there for him from the beginning. You would never hear Capone. People were fiercely loyal to Capone. I mean, when Capone took that pistol charge in Philly, Frank Rio went to prison with him just because they were so tight and Rio didn't want him in there alone. And, 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 and he and, and Capone spent their time in those nice prison cells together. But Capone never would have brought somebody down to save himself or thrown somebody else to the wolves. It's just he was he was very loyal to those around him and he loved those guys around him and he went to their weddings and all. He didn't see people as a means to an end always. I mean, he, he wanted to bring all his guys up with him. Gotti just wanted to promote himself and his own family and only do it his way, not what was best for them, but what he perceived to be the best. Interesting. Uh, loyal Capone inspired such loyalty that this guy took yeah. a pinch and, and went did a year with him in prison. So he would, he mm-hmm. would be with him. Interesting. That's really interesting. Can you imagine anybody yeah. doing that for Gotti or for anybody <laughs> today? <laughs> I mean, I think Gravano would have gone the, with him until he heard those tapes with guys. Yeah, saying, when, well, you know, we'll just throw Sammy, you know, I mean, yeah. Sammy was, was, was just about there, but man. Yeah, he would have, he, 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 he would just, have. That's old, that's old FBI. Trick there, man. I've seen that tried several times yeah. here where you get a you get a little tidbit that makes it look like they're talking bad mouth, you know, or they're you know, maybe even you know, once you're getting bad mouthed by certain guys in the mob in a mob family, you know, you you may be dead yeah. within a few weeks. And then you take that tape and you go play it to them and you say, Well, what do you think? And you know, either some some people we had one guy said, No, he said, I'll handle it myself. And he never did get killed. I don't know what happened to him, but uh, he died a a natural death. (laughs) I'll handle it myself. (laughs) But but that that is an FBI trick that works a lot, you know. Somebody you gotta be careful what you say. Don't be bad mouthing people out there if you're gonna be in the game. Well, that was <laughs> like you said, that was what they did with uh Frank uh, uh out in uh Las Vegas. Frank uh Colada, uh, yeah. Colada, yeah, that was yeah. exactly what they did with Colada. That was how they brought down uh and brought him against Spilatro and yep. that was what they did with uh Gotti and uh it was yeah, it's a, it a trick they've used quite a bit. <laughs> had a guy on Facebook the other day speaking <laughs> of that, it's kind of a side folks, but the guy on Facebook saying, Well, I want to see that tape where they said that you gotta uh take care of your own dirty laundry out there and uh yeah. It, it, and it's such an old FBI trick that happens all the time that and plus that a tape that is never put in court 
uh, entered into it's evidence trash. cannot be, it has to be trashed when you're done with it. It And they can use it, I guess, temporarily, but under the rules of Title III, and that probably borders on uh, violating the rules of Title III to let anybody see it. When I got my tapes, I had, I know there was a lot more conversations, had the transcripts for some of them, but they didn't get entered as evidence. And they're really mm-hmm. juicy tapes about talking about killing people and stuff. And, and I only got the transcripts because they never entered the tapes in as evidence. So they get rid of them. So that's what happened to those tapes. But uh, just yeah, you explain that to me. That's uh, that's interesting. You know, you'd think that, you, you know, those of us in who uh, follow the mob world, we imagine somewhere there's these giant vaults of all the best <laughs> conversations just sitting there waiting for us to be the ones to discover it and, and digitize them. And the truth is any tapes that are around are so are probably so, so broken down and, yeah. and, and have decomposed so much at this yeah. point that if, if people like yourself haven't saved them, they're just, you know, you can yeah. barely hear anything yeah. anymore. They're so, so broken down. They even, you can't even get a machine to play them anymore. I had a tape from the FBI. <laughs> It's an old videotape, and it's uh, Milton Rockman coming from Cleveland and meeting a guy in Chicago to pick up Ch- Cleveland's part of the skim. So I, the local guy said, oh, I said, I've got a machine, but it'll do that, but I'm afraid it'll tear it up because it's not working right. And I tore one up, you know, sometime in the last several months. He said, here's a company in California. So I sent it to a company in California, and they took a look at it. And and they said they were able to look at it. And then they said, well, there's not really anything on it. And we're afraid that we'll mess it up if we try to do anything. And and so I just, you know, just had to, because, you know, there's no place else you could even find a machine. So no. those old reel-to-reel tapes were about like 12 inches or 16 inches wide, great big reel-to-reel tapes with hours and hours of conversation on them. Because they may record, but they only mark pertinent. And then they, at the time, then they pull the pertinent conversations off. May have a whole lot more, but you just pull the pertinent conversations off. So then you've got all these hours of them just chit-chatting and, you know, you don't know what's on there. So it's, uh, (laughs) yeah, they just, you got to get rid of them. Even if you had them and even if you had the machine, nobody would have the patience to do it. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's like Kodachrome, you know, that, that, that's on Kodachrome. You know, they used to have Kodachrome film that they would develop with certain chemicals and different things. And yeah. they stopped manufacturing the chemicals. So now if you have any old Kodachrome negatives or Kodachrome slides, which used to be one of the most popular types of film, all you can do is develop it in black and white. It's just the, the chemicals aren't made. The technology isn't there anymore. It just is it's yeah. so it's just exist to, to, to develop Kodachrome film anymore. It's just yeah. uh, it's just as black and white. It's all you can do. So these these methods that they used, they just don't they don't translate anymore yeah. to digital. Well, this has been interesting, Cam. You got yeah, any man, more good, comparisons good, between uh, Gotti and uh, and even between the outfit? We really talked about comparisons between the outfit and the five families. I like to uh, I like to put on my. Uh, uh, Facebook, I think it's uh, yeah, Facebook uh, to join up the the podcast group. I ask you, Gotti or uh, 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 Cardo? So it seemed like it's about 50 50. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I uh, I, I think it's been a, it is an interesting idea to cover. I think their ages, you know, Gotti was was, was a little older than Capone, but uh, in, in, the, in, in the mob world, it is about Park, of course. But you look at the two of them, they're very polarizing figures. They're very. Uh, 
they're at opposite ends of the spectrum as far as what they represented. But what they what they really both did is they captured the imagination of the people in their yeah. times. Yeah. And that is why we look at them now and, and we, we wonder about them and, and we, it's easy to see the similarities between when you dig a little bit deeper, you realize that they're much different figures, but the way that they captured the, the uh, contemporary uh, uh, imaginations of the people who followed mob and who crime, who love true crime really is why we're talking about them now. And I don't think there will ever come another figure like them. Not out of, certainly not out of the mob world. I mean, maybe like a Pablo Escobar or something like yeah. that, but certainly the mob world will never see another figure like an Al Capone or a John Gotti that, that really brings that tra- that, that, that jumps over genres and, and brings the average uh, person into interest about the mob. It's just, it won't happen again. Those, those, those two and like Luciano, that's, that's it. We'll never see another one. Cam, as always, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Everybody that remarks how much they like you every once in a while, somebody say, well, where's Cam? You know, when are you going to have Cam back on? So I really appreciate I, it. it. It it means a lot. Everybody's important. Remember my book, uh, Swan Song, The Real Chicago Mob Wife, is out now on uh, on uh, Amazon Prime or on the uh, uh, Coastal West website. Check it out with uh, Lisa Swan, wife of Frank Calabrese Jr. Really tells the inside story of uh, families and what they go through with the mob. It's a, it's a really good. It's a good read. It's a really fluid book. We had a lot of fun doing it. Gary, you played no small part in getting me off the ground with that. I, I really appreciate the, the the well wishes from everybody. Anybody who's who's seen me on Facebook knows that I've had some some things going on. But thank you so much to everybody for for all the support. And uh, Gary, thank you as always for everything. All right. Yeah, I forgot about the book. I'll put guys, I'll put links to that uh the Swan Song book, the Mob Wife story. It's a it's a great story. And and if you look back in the older podcasts, I don't know, about two or three weeks ago, maybe two weeks yeah. ago now, this sometime around August, the middle of August or early part of August, I put out the uh interview I did with Lisa Swan and, and Cam about her life with Frank Calabrese Jr. It is a hell of a story. All right, Cam, thank you. Thank you, Gary. You know, guys, I uh, I ride motorcycles, so don't forget to look out for motorcycles when you're out there. If you have a problem with PTSD, go to that VA website and get the hotline number. If you have a problem with drugs or alcohol, you know, our friend uh, Angelo Ruggiano has uh, a hotline on his website, and he is a drug and alcohol counselor down in Florida. So maybe you could go down to his uh his rehab and, and have him as your drug and alcohol counselor. Now you can't beat that. Could you cam? We <laughs> <laughs> get some first hands. I'll give you some first hands. <laughs> All right. Don't forget like, and subscribe and uh, give me a review. If you think about it, I appreciate it. And cam as always, I really appreciate you coming on the show.